Hi, some of these episodes were recorded in 2020 during lockdown. Please enjoy all of the information and the vulnerability that all of my guests showed recording during this time. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to the Enterprising Expat. In this episode, I chat with Tegan Eileen. She's a plus-size model, dancer, and the founder of The Travel Curve, a travel, fashion, and lifestyle brand that inspires full-figured women to travel and feel their best whilst doing it. But what happens when international lockdown effectively shuts down your industry and you're still doing the visa dance because you moved for love? Here's Tegan's story. You know, like, I think it would be great if we could just get to a place where body types are different. All brands are inclusive from uh, a size one up to like a size, you know, 20 plus all the way up into 30, whatever, whatever the range is. And I mean, but also I realize that there's a whole other side of that conversation. And I kind of respect everybody has their feelings about it and opinions about it. But for me, just from the position that I've been in in my career through the years, I think it would be better if we kind of let go of all of that and just moved on into being like vibrant human beings at whatever size we're at, you know? You're listening to The Enterprising Expat, stories of women who packed up their lives and moved abroad for love, a job, or a fresh start. What does it take to build a new life and business in a new country? What does it take to go from finding your feet to thriving? Find out how each woman did it. Be inspired, whether you're an expat or digital nomad, to bloom where you're planted. So let's reel it back and start in Canada. Tell us about your first expat journey or your first time overseas? Well, the first time I ever really traveled anywhere was to India in 2010. So in the beginning of the early 2000s, I lived in Toronto. I was a plus size model. I was also working for a cultural arts organization that preserved the art of classical East Indian tabla and kathak within the sphere of the Toronto industry. And it was our mis- our mission to share this music and culture and schooling with people around us. And at one point, we received a Canadian Arts Council grant to go to India. And that was really like my first big trip. I was gone. I was in India for, I think, a month and a half. I had never been on a plane that long. I had never been anywhere that long. And then it just kind of gave me the travel bug. And then from then on, I was finding a whole bunch of different ways to travel. And finally, in, I guess, what was it like, hmm, 2013 or 14, I went to stay in Australia for four months. And then I started to travel a little bit around Europe. And it was in Barcelona where I met my husband, Michael. And we knew each other for a day. And we traveled all over the United States and Canada together, decided we wanted to be a couple. And then I moved to France and that's kind of how I ended up here. And this is the first time I'm living in another country. And I don't really think of myself as an expat really, because I think my experience has been more of like an immigrant's experience coming over here. I had no jobs or work lined up for me once I was here. We were kind of just going off the cuff and we had to jump through a lot of government hoops in the last three years 
to get where we are. So you're ticking all the boxes. Yes, for immigrant and yes, for expat as well, because it usually works out that one side has got the, got like, you know, the papers, the job and all of this kind of thing. And then you've got the spouse. Oh, I'll work something out when I get there. And then you realize that, hmm, it's not that easy. (laughs) Yeah. And that's really it, you know, because I really kind of did just decide to hop on a plane. As a Canadian, there's a working holiday visa. So we were kind of dating and getting serious at the same time. So initially I thought, okay, I'm going to get a working holiday visa because I have the entitlement to work there and we can live together and like see how it goes. I was trying to be very realistic, even though I was like head over heels, but I was immediately, immediately hit with the language barrier that followed with a really strong uh, like culture shock that I really wasn't expecting to have moving to France. You know, I, it's a Western culture. I thought it would be very similar and it is similar in a lot of ways, but there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of difference in like social structures. That's totally different here. And it was really hard. And in terms of bureaucracy, my working holiday visa was a pretty easy process because I was Canadian. I got it for free. I had definitely like some Canadian privilege there. But the moment that that visa ended, bureaucracy kind of kicked in. And that was like the following three years was navigating that. And I remember like coming home from the prefecture, which is like the main place where you go to update visas and and stuff. I would be coming home at like 10 o'clock in the morning, crying my eyes out. It was very hard. And my husband's French. So he would try to find the right information online, which we would never be able to find. And then we would do book an appointment thinking we had done our research and booked the right thing. And then we would get there and find out we hadn't booked the right thing. We started researching and reading everything on like expat forums and like forums about moving to live, like live with a French partner. And a lot of them are related to Paris. We live in the Southwest in Toulouse. And of course, we didn't realize there would be a major difference until we were like in the office and they were like, oh, that's, this is not how the system works in Toulouse. It works like this in the rest of France but not here, you know? (laughs) I can imagine. So a process that was originally supposed to take two weeks tops ended up taking almost a year and a half of our lives to kind of organize. So just to give you a taste of what that was like. (laughs) It's funny now, but I can see the frustration. I know it... I think like that should be a question when we release your interview. It's like, put your hand up if you have ever cried over trying to get a passport stamp or when you've left a government office. Like how many times? Because if you have ever moved to another country, it's got to have happened at least once. It's <laughs> At least once. I can't even tell you how many times I had to go back to Canada to come back here, to go back there, to apply there, to come here. And then, you know, after that, we found out that actually we didn't need to do that necessarily. No. You know, when my husband and I decided to get married, but at the time my husband was working away from home. So he was living out of our house three or four days a week on his job site. So we weren't seeing each other every day. And he like basically just 
called me and started talking, okay, well, we're going to uh, have to go to the courthouse to apply for this and that and the other thing for the wedding. And I was like, what? Oh, so we're getting married? Is, is that what? <laughs> is that what's happening? <laughs> and it was so funny because I, on one hand, I was like, you know, you didn't even tell me. But at the other hand, I was like, I loved so much that he found out that was the answer. And like, he was just making like, this is what we're going to do. You know what I mean? Cause like, that's how much he wanted me to stay. He knew that's how much I wanted us to stay and be together. So he had just like already got into like, okay, how do we put this into action? <laughs> and it was really funny. You know, since we lived in Toulouse, I've now moved to the countryside and we have just in October, like this October, we went through, um, my one of my final residencies i still have a few more to go actually and here we deal with a prefecture that's totally different and it's in the countryside and the woman was so nice to us i cried again but because i was so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god finally finally somebody who just tells it like it is and this is happening all around the world it's like but it's so much work it is a test of a relationship for sure because it's expensive and it's emotionally taxing and if you guys as a couple can get through that then you probably can get through a lot of things together you know like it was fortifying for us but i could see for a lot of people like that it could be something else you know Yes. Becoming a travel blogger and, you know, mixing it with fashion. Did you create that in your move to France or had that started a little bit before? Well, I created the travel curve amongst my move to France, but it kind of started before because really I had worked in the fashion industry for six years prior and and then I started traveling a lot. So I couldn't model anymore because I wasn't as available for casting calls and things like that. But I became an ambassador of a travel fashion brand and was doing a lot of, again, plus size modeling with this brand. And I was kind of building a bit of a career and a platform there. Designer I work with, she actually sent me to the Women in Travel Summit, a conference for female travel writers, bloggers, to find other women that wanted to be brand ambassadors. So I did. But what also happened is they all turned me on to the idea that I could utilize my experience in the travel industry and my experience working in fashion as a plus size person and really utilize that in the travel world, you know? So it kind of all came about. I went down to that conference and I was moving to France, like I think, a couple, like a week later. And I left the conference saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to start a travel blog about curvy travel fashion. <laughs> and I moved here with this idea and I really didn't know what I was doing. Like I didn't, there's so much that goes into being a travel blogger or being a podcaster, any of these uh, digital creations. There's so much work behind it, as I know you know. I was really only seeing the tip of the iceberg at that point. And ever since then, it's been like a journey down the rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> but you were doing some stuff, doing being a digital assistant before you moved. Yeah, I've always had skills with digital things online. 
And I was working with this brand as a model and also managing some stuff behind the scenes. So I had some experience and I really liked Instagram and I like to write and I like to speak. I talk a lot. So it seemed like the right path for me to take. But I didn't know so many things. There were so many things I didn't know, like all of the the nuances behind marketing and you know, running a blog and all of that stuff. And it's all changed. Like what it was five years ago, what it is now is so different. So the process from how you got to this idea to, oh, actually this is a business. (laughs) Yeah, it was really a moving process. Um, It was a fluid process. It didn't really start off as one thing and turn into another. It's been like a constantly evolving thing. Basically, I knew that I was moving to France. I knew that I didn't have enough French, so it might be difficult to pick up work here. But I did have the VA opportunities through my clients in Canada. So I knew I could do that. And I knew I could use the travel curve as a platform to talk about body positivity within the travel spectrum. So I kind of knew going into it that I wanted it to be a business. I just didn't know all of the nuances behind what running a digital online brand would be like. And then I got here and started learning. So luckily, thanks to the conference, I had made a lot of contacts with amazing experienced bloggers that I could you know, run name ideas past and they were really supportive of me and like helping me get started. And it took time to kind of really figure out what the voice was. All of that was happening in and amongst me moving to France, having to go through all of these bureaucratic things. So it's always been this work in progress. Uh, But there was a certain point, maybe I think about a year and a half to two years ago, where I was like, okay, now I think I understand enough that I want to try and monetize and actually turn it into something that I can make a living for myself and and, and make it like a brand that's going to help, you know, support my life and earn some income from. That's another thing. Sometimes to look at all of the noise online, sometimes you believe like you should be actually making made your previous salary in about six months. Otherwise, your business idea isn't viable. That whole noise, how did it affect you? To be honest with you, in the beginning, I kind of knew, again, because I started off with a solid community of women. So I kind of knew the idea of earning six figures right out of the gate was unrealistic. But over time, I I started to realize just how strategic a lot of people online are in relation to their marketing. And I think it's one thing, especially in the realm of what I do as like what's considered like a social influencer. I guess you could consider the Travel Curve brand to be um, like a micro influencer, especially in in that realm. There's a lot of micro influencers influencers that offer products and digital products. And, you know, they kind of give you this idea in your mind that you should be accomplishing XYZ. Or like what you said, that you should be making the same amount uh, as your previous career within a certain amount of time. What a lot of people don't 
outwardly admit to is that some of the most successful influencers online have a background or a degree in digital marketing. So they're already, they're not just like one step ahead. They're like several steps ahead. So they walked into it fully looking at it as a business plan. And it's a bit conflicting because in back when I started the travel curve, which was only a couple years ago, like maybe five or six five years ago now. Still at that time, there was another conflicting message in the industry that you could create a blog and you could create all this traffic for free without any investments and you could make this big thing happen. But what a lot of people didn't tell you is that you needed to have a certain level of knowledge. And if you had that knowledge, maybe you could do that for free. But if you didn't, you had to learn all of these things, you know? So that was like the biggest thing for me. I started to realize within the process that you were like, we were only getting half of the story. And it makes a lot of sense when you think of what a lot of the influencers out there offer, because they want you to learn from them. You know what I mean? Do you still have courses on your hard drive that you actually haven't finished and you're still going to get around to? Or (laughs) because I do. The good question, because I think a lot of people that are entrepreneurial minded who didn't necessarily go to university to 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 pursue it or or to study like communications, you know, I think a lot of us do. We find some of these courses that connect and we do buy them. And maybe because, you know, we have other jobs or we have families or something, we don't get through all of the material. So in honest, honest truth, I have more than several, I have a bunch of courses under my belt that I've taken that have helped me. I've learned a lot of information that was totally relevant. I've learned a lot of information that changed. So it was no longer relevant. I have, I want to say at this moment, I probably have like in relation to my work, I have one or two half half finished courses, but they're finished enough that I know what I need to do. It's just kind of like, following up with everything. Yeah. If I'm being totally honest. Yeah. But I do have stuff that I reference back to later too. Like I have courses, you know, like I learned how to become a photographer digitally. And I took a lot of courses online about how to, you know, edit and that kind of thing. So I have stuff that I go back to and I reference if I haven't done something in a while. And I I do think the courses that I've taken, I've purchased so far, I don't, I feel like they were a fair investment because I really did learn from them. But I guess it's, it's part of the process. The more you become a content creator, the more you know how much work goes into making all of this stuff. How do you decide when you should do something yourself and when you should outsource something? How do you make that decision in your business? That is such a fantastic question because that's something that a lot of people that get into digital creation don't realize is that there's, especially behind major accounts, there's usually at least a team of five people, three to five people helping to operate that account. And as you expand a business, you realize 
Uh, you cannot do all of this alone. Like you could do it all alone, maybe, but you would be severely sacrificing your house, severely sacrificing quality time with your family. And for the most of us, like that's not why we got into this. We got into this because we wanted more quality time. You know what I mean? So the realization that I needed to outsource some of the work was a little bit of a tricky one for me because I wasn't financially ready to do it when I needed it. In this particular case, it turned into me assessing my own strengths and weaknesses is like, what am I good at? What am I not so good at? And I made a list of that. And I took the things I struggle with the most because they eat up the most time in me trying to navigate them. And those uh, became the things that I started to outsource. So basically getting my website designed and having all of the GDPR stuff put up around that. I outsourced that to team members. I have a blog and we put out a lot of posts. Like the the content of the blog is kind of going to start to shift. There's a lot of SEO profitable uh, posts about travel. And I write about travel. I write about fashion. And now I really want to start writing about deeper topics, topics that are more important to me. So the SEO friendly blogs are something that I can kind of outsource with a copywriter, but it's a joint, it's like a collaborative project. So I kind of send a full outline of what I what I want written, they write it, and then I go through it, make sure I'm comfortable with it. I do the final edit on it. And and most of the time, what I offer, which when you're working with a copywriter or ghostwriter, you don't have to offer it, but I like to offer it is to share who that actually worked on that piece. You know what I mean? Because that's important to me as well. So those were my weakest areas. So that's kind of what I, what I've worked on right now. But I would say that's the best way to move forward is to assess what strengths and weaknesses you have. And it's easy to do because the stuff that you find really impossibly hard is probably the stuff you need help with. For me, if it involves me writing, can send it to somebody. I'm like, this is what I think. These are my thoughts. Now make it sound cohesive because you've got the magic with words. But I can, I'm really bad at writing an article. Like I, I just can't. Yeah, I can write an article. I've written a lot of articles. And especially sometimes people ask me to post on their account. So I I want it to come from me. It's a long process. Like it takes me a week. You know what I mean? And if you want to have a blog and you want to post constant relevant content, I mean, like, that's not the most viable system to take a week to write each post and put all of this. I'm like kind of perfectionist. So I want it to sound the best. And then I get two in my head and I'm overthinking it. So I still do a a decent chunk of my writing. Plus I do all of my like Instagram account writing as well. But uh, some things I can kind of outsource. So I want to shift a bit to you landing in France only knowing your husband, how do you form your own community? So that's a crazy good question because, yeah, I really didn't know anybody except for Michael and then his family. But most of his family speak only French. And though they were nice to me, it was too kind of difficult to really build like a strong relationship if you can't verbally communicate. On the plus side, I was living in Toulouse and Toulouse has like a huge expat community. But in the first two years, I was starting the travel curve. I was going back and forth dealing with papers and stuff. And I like actually just didn't have time to meet people. The first two years, 
I spent six months each year in Canada. So finally, the third year, I said, this is the year I'm going to stay in France and try to get in, like, figure out, meet some people. Hello, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you for listening to The Enterprising Expat. And can I ask you to do me a quick favor? Could you please subscribe to the show? So um, there is a group called Toulouse English Speaking Forum, and it's like a Facebook group. I kind of just went on there and introduced myself and asked if anybody wanted to walk their dogs together. (laughs) You know what I mean? met some friends that way and then I continued to meet some creative people there and I think also you know because I'm really into meditation manifestation affirmations I think a lot of that stuff helped me get to this point and like I was just looking for this core creative connection with some people so I met this photographer here named Patty Fellows she's an incredible wedding photographer And we just had a coffee and we were talking about the fact that we wished that there was like a meetup or a community of creative women, you know? So we started like our own group of creative women and we had a couple mixers and things like that. And that was really where I met my closest friends today in this area was all from that group of people. People are traveling. Let me put it that way. (laughs) Um, How is that impacting you and how are you now still reaching people? Right. So COVID-19 has definitely flipped the life of a travel blogger kind of on its head. And well, it's been really hard. I have a lot of friends in the industry that really suffered and lost a lot of revenue. Well, we all have. We've all lost a lot of revenue this year. A lot of things were related to travel and then people couldn't travel, you know. But there is still there is still people that are aspirational about traveling in the future. I think many of us are trying to connect with that. But also a really interesting idea of pivoting your brand has kind of come up within my travel community. It really aligned with me because before COVID happened in November, I actually went to another Women in Travel Summit conference. And uh, I had gone there with the intention that I wanted to pivot my brand anyways, because I'm now 34. I'm traveling differently. I'm living a different life. And I don't want to be... Uh, I don't want to feel bad because I'm not traveling like a 20-year-old traveler anymore. And I, I love the life I have right now. So I'm really trying to embrace it. And I wanted to showcase it more in the Travel Curve account. But I was scared to do it because I didn't know if, it, if, if my community would receive it. So COVID came along and I was kind of like, well, if I'm not going to do it now, you know what I mean? Like now is the time. And sure enough... A lot of the people who are part of my account, they couldn't travel either. So a lot of them did what I did and leaned into home life and their gardens and their own personal outdoor space. And that's kind of something I wanted to bring forward in the travel curve as well. So it has actually connected with people. In many ways, it's been a valuable, I'll say, experience for my personal life because I really repositioned the way things are going. I started an interview series called What's Next? And the goal was to showcase 
the amazing female entrepreneurs that I know that are doing incredible business and making amazing things throughout the world. And I really wanted to speak more. I wanted to advocate more for Indigenous women in Canada because that's something I'm really passionate about. Also, the Black Lives Matter movement. And these were always things I always wanted to talk about, but I was... I've been trying to find my voice and find the way to bring those things into the platform for many years. And I thought that there was like some kind of process that there needed to be for that. And I just realized that that's not the case and you just have to start. So a lot of the content has shifted on my account, but I'm happy to say that it's been received really well. And, you know, Currently, I'm saying the travel curve is a branded transition, you know, like it's changing right now. Yeah. I mean, the last time we spoke, it was when lockdown was starting. You were already in lockdown. And basically, I was so upset. I was on the phone and I was like, oh, let's do this interview. But my business might have gone so but Like me too. Like I remembered like a couple days within our conversation, I was crying to my husband. What's happening right now? I just... It's so like in our lifetime and I realized stuff like this has happened before, but in our lifetime, I just, I don't know, maybe I was freaking naive. I really never saw this coming, you know? So I was shocked. Okay. I'm going to fire a couple of questions at you just for fun. So what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Oh man. Um, Fish brains? Oh, geez. Oh, ah, okay. It was really good. I didn't see that coming. They, he just put it in my mouth and said, don't ask me what it is. Just eat it. And I did. Okay. <laughs> is there uh, a holiday from Canada or from any of the places you've been to that's really unique and amazing so that you miss or that you've seen and you're like, I wish I could see that again? Um, hmm. Ooh, okay. Yes. And actually, it's an American one. Well, it's not really an American holiday, but it's I I did experience Mardi Gras in New Orleans in the beginning when I started traveling. There's a really cool element of like the parades every day and the floats and all of the marching bands. And this whole aspect I just thought was it was the coolest thing I've ever experienced. I loved it so much. It made me like so obsessed with that city. So I would love to experience that again at some point in my life for sure. That is so cool. I think when you move to a country, you take for granted that you'll have time to travel. And I'm like, okay, we're packing up soon and I have not traveled in the U.S. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, what's one myth you would like to bust about France that people are just, that they've got wrong? Oh, that's complicated. Oh, well, I guess, you know, a lot of people think that everybody in France is really kind of, they're cold. And it's not true. The reality of France is that French people don't give it all away at the first encounter. You kind of have to work for them to get comfortable with you. But once they are comfortable with you, they'll like do anything for you. And I really found that at first when I moved here, I thought everybody was quite cold. But in the end, they they love to take care of each other. They're really a community of people that are there for each other. And I think that's something that we don't always see in the outside world in the context of France. 
guys. That's amazing. So what's one thing that you always, no matter where you're traveling in the world, or let me say bring from home because you have two homes now. Okay, honestly, I always travel with Diane Pro clothing, no matter where I'm going. She's the fashion designer I worked with in Canada. And I always have at least one piece of hers because it changes into a multiple, multiple wear kind of situation. And I always have like a thousand looks from it. And I always have at least a, an accessory, a scarf or something with me, no matter where I go. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, I bought a whole book on scarves. That's something I want to get into. I'm just like, it lifts everything. I love scarves. Okay, so the last thing I want you to do is just um, say your social media. How can people get in touch with you? And what should they get in touch with you about? Okay, well, so my website is www.thetravelcurve.com. And you can also find me, I'm most active on Instagram, which is at thetravelcurve. I'm always wanting new people to come in and say hello. So please feel free to DM me directly. I love comments and engagement on my account. So if you read something that clicks with you, please comment and engage. And, you know, we talk about fashion. We talk about body positivity in the context of travel and just life. And thank you so much. This Thank you for listening to The Enterprising Expat. You can help the show grow and reach more people by sharing this episode with your friends or supporting us on social media. Cheers, and I'll see you in two weeks.